Excellent. And if you're joining us uh, online, we want to welcome you uh, for joining us here at Willow Park Church. And just on that note about uh, the uh, missions prayer guide is here and it has all the pictures, all the missionaries, and you can connect with them, pray for them, ask God that God will bless them and be with them. As a church, we are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus and I'm excited about the way that lives are being changed and this evening at the Pursuit Service we will be baptising 15 young adults who have given their lives to Christ and want to go through the waters of baptism. Is that fantastic? So, um, yes. So if, if you're not doing anything this evening, come and join us there at the, um, at the service and enjoy the service and uh, meet uh, that congregation as well and all that God is doing and the way that God is working. Please come and do this. Well, we've been uh, teaching our way through the book of Mark and it's been really exciting to see the way that God has ministered and spoken to us through the book of Mark. But we're, um, we're going to move forward and fast forward as we move towards Easter. We wanted to preach a little series out of the book of Mark, but around the cross and around the Easter uh, period. So uh, if you'd like to take your Bibles and, or look at the screen, and we'll be teaching from Mark chapter 14, verse 22. What I really want to do is, first of all, frame this. This is the Passover. Now, for many of you that may be gathered this morning, you may not understand fully what the Passover is or was at this time. This was a feast, a Jewish feast and a celebration. Now, we all love feasts, don't we? We all love celebrations. I do. I love to eat and get together with friends, um, enjoy time together and chat and eat food. And my favorite food is actually in all the world, if you really want to, you know, bless me. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you have to do this, by the way, uh, but, but I love lamb. Now, Canadians, you don't eat a lot of lamb, uh, but, but there at the Passover, they always have lamb, a lamb shank. Now, I have to say that as I talk about the Passover, I think the one person you need to pray for the most who has to interpret this is Yasmin, because she's going to interpret um, a lot of Jewish thoughts and ideas. So thank you to Yasmin, yes, and uh, all that she does. Um, I said to you at the beginning of the service, I bet you don't know too much about the Passover words in signing. And she just smiled at me. Uh, But I understand that. But the Passover was a defining moment. It goes back a thousand years before this moment. It goes back to the moment when Israel is in slavery, in bondage. And God liberates his people. So basically, it's a celebration of liberation. It's a defining moment. We understand defining moments. There are great defining moments in in modern history. Some sad, some amazing. Uh, Canada has many great defining moments, like 
perhaps a very sad one, was the Halifax explosion in what 1917, when the world's largest non-atomic explosion took place in the town of Halifax at that time. That was a defining moment, you could say. Another defining moment was later, I think, in 1929, when Canadian scientists discovered insulin that, of course, helped so many people in the world. That was amazing, and it continues to change lives. A defining moment. And, of course, the third defining moment is the day when Tim Hortons became Prime Minister. And (laughs) these are defining moments. If you're listening online and from another country, that was a joke about uh, Tim Hortons becoming Prime Minister. He was the Governor General. Uh, So, (laughs) these are defining moments within, within our nation, our great nation. And within Israel, the most defining moment was the day... When the tenth plague came, after nine plagues, the sword of God's judgment was moving. His wrath, his judgment was coming on Egypt because Pharaoh would not release God's people to their destiny and to their plan. And it is a celebration, the Passover, of escape. That we escape And so through the sacrificial moment of killing a lamb... Taking that lamb and then the blood of that lamb and putting it on the doorposts. And I know for some of us, this can seem a little bit extreme. And the story basically is this. You either have a dead lamb or you have a dead child in the story. Because God's angel of judgment of death was coming over Egypt and was going to bring the final plague on the firstborn. And so they had to take the lamb, and as they took the lamb, they killed it. They then put the blood on the doorposts, which created, by faith, in the substitutional way, they were protected and had a shelter over them. And as this shelter was over them, when the angel of death came, they were not touched in their home because they trusted in the blood of the lamb to protect them on that day. And every one of us, if you are a Christian and if you have experienced salvation, we live under the shelter of God's salvation, the shelter of God's presence, the shelter of God's love, don't we? And so they were able to be rescued. And you know the Exodus story. It's been made into films. It's been um, talked about, of course, for centuries. And a thousand years before this moment, then they moved out of Egypt. And as they moved out of Egypt, this was called the Passover. And so every year around the Easter period, they would celebrate the Passover. And the Passover, of course, is when family gather and they have food and there are key foods that are available and they eat together and they remember all the mercies of God. And within it, there are uh, four cups of wine. And so you take the first cup and this is the cup to celebrate the fact that God rescued us from Egypt. The second cup is then raised to celebrate the fact that we were once slaves but now we are free. 
The third cup is raised to celebrate the fact that God is a redeeming God and they were redeemed by the mighty power of their God. So there's a lot of raising of cups here. I like it already. And then there is the fourth cup that says we have a renewed relationship with God and that God is with us. We are his people and we have this relationship with him. So this is the celebration. And on the table there was lamb. There was, or is indeed, uh, unleavened bread. There are herbs and bitter herbs. There is chopped fruit that, that signifies the mortar that they made to build the Egyptian homes. There is in fact an egg. We won't get into the egg. It was something to do later on with the temple and the sacrifice in the temple. But there are these items that are on the table and they walk through raising the cup of rescue, raising the cup of freedom from slavery, raising the cup of redemption by God's mighty power, raising the cup of a renewed relationship with God. Right there you have an idea of what Christian life should be all about, don't you? That our life is about the fact that we are a rescued people, we are a free people, we are a redeemed people, and we are a renewed people who are renewed in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is leading this in Mark 14. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. You see, in the middle of the Passover, there would be this a moment when they would take the bread. It was unleavened bread. It was like a cracker bread. And they would take the cracker bread and they would say, this is the bread. Right? The reason it was unleavened was because there was no time to prepare breads with yeast so that they would rise and bake them. God moved. God delivered them. They had to move quickly and follow what God was doing. And so they took unleavened bread for the journey. And so the point, the leader of the Passover will stand up and he will say, this is the bread of affliction and suffering and it is this bread that our fathers ate in the wilderness. It's a great moment in the process, in the ceremony. This is the bread of affliction and suffering that our fathers ate in the wilderness. So Jesus is leading the Passover and suddenly he starts to speak his words and while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is the moment and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Now Luke gives us a little bit more there. Take it, this is my body. Hang about. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Whoa, hang about. Pause for a moment. Time out. 1,000 years of scripting. 1,000 years of tradition. 1,000 years or, or beyond that, depending on your timing, of this great feast of celebrating the Passover and you, Jesus, suddenly change the script completely. Why? 
Well, what he's actually saying is this. I am the affliction. I am the one that is going to suffer. I am the one that is going to die. And I am the ultimate exodus that will lead humanity out of the bondage of slavery. That will rescue humanity from the darkness of sin. I am the one who is present. I am the bread of the world. And I will be broken. And I will be afflicted. And I will suffer. And I will lead you in the greatest exodus that the world has ever seen. I have come to free humanity he's changed it and suddenly there's a there's a there's a hush if you go back to mark 14 and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take it this is my body then he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank from it This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for me. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered about this verse? Truly, I will not eat and drink again until I I'm in the kingdom of God. Now we may read that and we may think, oh. Well, it means that from this moment on, he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there's not going to be any food. He's going to go to see the Sanhedrin and the high priest and there's not going to be any food there. He's going to go, basically there's not a vending machine on the journey. And he's not going to be able to eat. No. You see, this very statement is an ancient statement of intent. It's like an oath. It is a covenant statement that was used in the ancient world to say, I will not eat or drink until I complete the task. And I swear before God, and I swear before man, and I swear that I will fulfill and gain this moment, and I will complete the task with determination because God has commissioned me to do it. See, in the, in the Old Testament, again, we know there are moments like this when they would take an animal, and again, a little gruesome, they would cut the animal in half and the blood would flow. They would mark it with the blood. They would walk through the animals and they would say, I commit to this task and nothing is going to stop me. I guess in a negative term, it's like a vow to a mafia godfather that you say you will complete the task. At this moment, I should do an Italian accent. But every accent I do just sounds English. So, but I will, you know, in that that Mexican way, I won't even go there. I will gain my revenge. I will not sleep. I will not eat until I fulfill and gain vengeance for my family. I will do this. You know, it is an oath. 
But here it is enough. In fact, in Acts, there were some Orthodox Jews that did this very vow. And they said they would not eat or drink until they had killed the Apostle Paul. They made exactly the same vow. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is making this vow and he's saying, I'm not going to back off. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do what God has told me to do and I make this oath. I'm so committed to this task. I will not back off because what I am doing is so important. I'm not going to eat and drink until I am in the glory of heaven and I have completed the task that God has given me. That's how much Jesus loves you. That he's so intent on rescuing humanity that he will not stop until he rescues us. He will not eat. He will not drink. He will not back off. He will not luck away. He will not... Stop the race. He will keep pushing forward. He will rescue people because the greatest exodus for the whole of humanity depends upon the work that he is about to do. That's how much God loves you and I. And what is he really saying? He's really saying, I'm going to do this task and go so far to the point where you are going to be embraced by the Father's arms. Where every one of us can be in a place to know that the Father will embrace us, that the Father will help us, that the Father is with us, that you and I, he will go to the kingdom for that great day of the kingdom, of course, the great day is the feast. Matthew 8 talks about this. When there'll come a day, there'll be the great feast of the Lamb. When all those who are washed in his blood, that means all those that have trusted in him and that believe in him will gather and they will celebrate because of his kingdom and we will be rescued and will be invited to the greatest banquet you have ever been to. It is the banquet to celebrate. Celebrate the deliverance and the exodus of the human race. And we will celebrate with the Lord God Almighty and Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain. Are you going to that banquet? I'm going to be there. Thank you. Brian's going to be there. We're going. We've got our tickets, if you like. We're going to the banquet. You see, every lamb that was slain between the exodus and this moment was simply pointing towards one lamb and pointing towards Jesus Christ. Have you noticed this text? In fact, when you read all the Gospels, there is something that is missing here. Have you noticed that they none of them ever talk about on the table there is a lamb? It's like this is a vegetarian uh, meal they're having. 
And yet the lamb was the central feature of the Passover. And yet the lamb is never mentioned in any of the Gospels. What is going on here? I'll tell you exactly what is taking place here. The lamb is not on the table because the lamb is seated at the table. And it will be the lamb that will be slain for the sins of the world. That's what's happening. And all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our pain, all of our agony will be carried by Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? Such detail in Scripture, such nuances that we can miss. And yet it tells us one message that you and I are sought by God and we are loved by God. And that he is there to rescue us. In the National Geographic, there was an article about a forest fire. We're familiar with forest fires in our region, of course. 2003 and so on. And we have stories of forest fires. But in uh, Yosemite Park, there was a massive forest fire and National Geographic, they, they did articles about it and the effects of it and large areas, what happens when they're burnt and so on. And the rangers started to tell a little story. He said, after the forest fire, I walked up into the devastated area. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. Trees Ravished by fire. And as I was walking along, I could see the devastation and the hopelessness and the smell and the, the effects of this devastating forest fire. And I noticed an interesting shape. It was of a, obviously a bird... Quite a large bird, uh, like a pheasant of something of that nature. I looked at it, I could see that it was completely dead and burnt out. It looked like a charcoal shape of a bird. And it, it repulsed me, he said, for a moment. I looked at this, and I walked over and I kicked it. And as I kicked it, it disintegrated. And then to my amazement from underneath the charcoal wing ran three little chicks that had been protected by the mother from the ravaging of the fire. That's what Jesus did. Do you remember that verse in Matthew? It talks about, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I weep for you as a, as a hen covers the chicks. When Christ died upon the cross, when he became the Passover lamb, when his blood is put on the, uh, on the, the very basis of our souls and our hearts, 
The angel of death now passes over with no power, if you like, and we have been protected by the work of the cross and by the judgment of God, and we are free because he endured the force and the fire of the crucifixion, and we are a forgiven people. We are a loved people. We are a people that are out of slavery. We are renewed. We are rescued. We are freed and we are redeemed by his mighty power. Raise the third glass up and declare it, I am redeemed. See, the third glass, if you like, the mug of wine, is the communion we use as Christians. We have one glass or one cup. And this one cup is communion. And we raise it. And we say, I have been redeemed by the mighty power of God. Now that gets an old preacher like me excited. Because there was a time when I was lost, but now I'm found. There's a time when I was a slave, and I was under the taskmaster of this world's values, and it's nonsense, and it's addiction, and it's, it's, it's weakness, and it's lies, and I came into a new kingdom of light. You and I. Notice in this verse. So we have the blood of Jesus, the covenant, which is poured out for many, and it's poured out for you and I, and it's that mark. And truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink anew in the kingdom of God. This feast, this great celebration, there's what we call a future eschatology here, a future sense of what God's going to do. As sure as he did it in the past, he's going to bring it in the future. And what he's actually talking about is this great feast that is laid out. And I don't know if you've ever been to a feast. I love feasts. I actually really love food. I really love food. I just have to, I love, I love chicken wings <laughs> and pizzas. All the things that I, 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 I'm supposed to be running the Vancouver Marathon. And I'm thinking, I weighed myself this morning after this weekend. I was like, oh, I had too many chicken wings this weekend. But, you know, I've been preaching a lot. Um, but when you see a beautiful feast, probably not that is good for you, with fruits and nuts and all the things that bring us uh, health, all the things we can partake of, all the joy of a, a, a wonderful laid table of goodness and, and health, you either choose to look at it or you choose to partake in it. See, Jesus says, I'm the feast. I'm the bread. I'm the wine. 
And so you can either look at it or you can partake in it. And by partaking it, you enter into that relationship with me. It's a glorious relationship. And we have so many, what I would describe as unhealthy Christians, who, are, who lack the vitamins and are malnourished, if you like, in their faith because they're not partaking of the richness of the feast of a relationship with the living God. And the more you are with him and, as it were, enjoy the feast of that relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how that brings us life. So the challenge at the table is how is your relationship with Jesus? Are you feasting in that relationship? Are you feasting in that intimacy, in that closeness? You see, we are bound to each other as Christians. We're not bound because of our common education, because in this room alone, there are those of us who have certain education, those of us who have other educations. We're not bound by our common politics in this room, because what I've discovered is there is different politics in church life. So don't crack jokes about politicians, Pastor Phil. But it's so easy to, particularly when we have such a good-looking Prime Minister. And, you know, but I keep away from that. Common politics. We're not bound by a common politics. We're not bound by a common uh, ethnicity. We are different. We are diverse. We come from all over the world in this church. We, and, and it's growing and changing. We have greater representation from the Caribbean and from Hong Kong and China than we've had in the last six years. And the, the, the very nature of our congregations are changing. But we're not bound by those things. No, we are bound together by a common kingdom that we are brothers and sisters that gather around the table of God and we are bound. Where we should be enemies, God has made us brothers and sisters. And the table is open. And what he's talking about in that verse, I have a sense of a new, drinking a new, drink it anew in the kingdom of God. I have that idea that he's thinking of Psalm 96. In Psalm 96, it talks about, and all the trees of the forest will sing for joy, and they will sing before the Lord, and he comes. He comes to judge the earth, but notice when the Lord returns, trees are going to start to sing. Now, we think we have a pretty beautiful world we live in at the moment, agreed? But let me tell you, when the new kingdom come and God renews the heavens and the earth and the dead in Christ rise and he puts all things right, we are going to the greatest feast we've ever been to. And let me tell you something, the very trees will be singing at that great event. What does Isaiah say? 
It says, the mountains and the hills will burst forth into song before you. And all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. I know it sounds like a Disney movie. They have to get their idea from somewhere, right? Let me explain it this way. We're all getting ready to plant our gardens, no doubt. But you know a seed is in the ground and it is dormant. Because it has no light. It has no light. But even after years, in fact with some seeds, even after decades, they can be dormant. But you can bring them out and place them in the sunlight and they burst into life. And where it was just soil and a seed, it now becomes a glorious plant. Our world is like a seed that is just a shadow of what it should be. But there comes a day, there will come a day when the Son of God will return for the great feast and this dormant seed of our fallen shadow world will be put in the sunlight before the living God and the very trees will sing out. And clap their hands. What is it saying? It's saying that what you're experiencing now is nothing compared to what you're going to experience at the feast. It's nothing compared. This is a foretaste of the feast that is coming. A feast that you'll walk towards and will be seated at. A feast where the mountains and the hills will rejoice and the very stones will cry out. A land that we've never imagined. A feast. When I was about 15 years old, there was a, a man that travelled around I guess the world, with a a testimony. He had been swimming in an ocean, I guess, a tropical ocean, and he'd been surrounded by box jellyfish and had been stung so many times that when they pulled him out of the, the ocean, he was dead. But he actually experienced a miracle and they brought him back to life. Amazing that he survived such attack from box jellyfish. And I remember listening to this as a new Christian, a teenager, and he'd speak at events and conferences and you can actually find the story online. Michelle told me she hadn't heard the story for 20 years until I mentioned it last night. But the one thing I remember about the story is this. It's funny how things click in your brain when you're 15, 16. He said that the story was about when he was dead, he found himself in the presence of the Lord. 
and he was walking along a meadow and he found himself for a moment in the presence of the Lord, which was remarkable, changed his whole life. But as he stepped on the grass, as he stepped on that beautiful green turf, that grass, he said it was as if every time I took a step, it was like there was a choir of music coming from the very ground itself. That's the feast. That's the feast you're going to where you walk on the ground and the very soil and green itself sings with joy. And this is the foretaste. Aren't you excited to take communion now? Because we're going to raise the third cup and declare he has redeemed us by his mighty power. And you may not be a Christian and you may love to become a Christian and enter the feast. Have you noticed that Jesus didn't do, uh, celebrate the Passover with family? It was always family. Mary, were, his brothers and all of them. It was the disciples that were present. That's because we're in a new family. And everybody is welcome, welcome to eat and to drink. Let's pause before the Lord. We believe as a church, because Scripture teaches us that we must examine ourselves thoroughly as we come to the table. We must confess our sins, put aside our offence, ask the Lord to forgive us of our resentments. If we've sinned in word, thought or action, we need to simply ask for his great forgiveness. And by this, we, um, it brings life to us. It brings health to us as Christians to keep a healthy rhythm of confession. In fact, it says if you don't examine yourself thoroughly with your attitudes and heart, then some of you are even sick and ill because you have not examined yourself thoroughly before the table. So take a moment and examine And if you're not a Christian or you're so far away from God, it's become a distant memory, then give your life to Jesus. I prayed these words. Lord Jesus, I give my whole life to you. I choose this morning to be your disciple. Forgive me for all of my sins. Cleanse me. 
You gave yourself for me on the cross. I give myself to you. Amen.